It's been a foregone conclusion that the Chicago Bears would eventually fire Matt Eberflus. But after a big divisional win over the Minnesota Vikings, is there still a chance he could still save his job this season? You are Locked On Bears, your daily Chicago Bears podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Locked On Bears, and I'm your host, Lauren Cox. I'm here to bring you your daily, in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. You can follow me on Twitter, at CoxSports1. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, at Locked On Bears. You can like Locked On Bears on Facebook. Join the Locked On Bears Facebook group for even more Bears talk. And make sure you hit that subscribe button on the Locked On Bears YouTube channel to keep up with all of our video podcasts as well. Thanks for making Locked On Bears your first listen today. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNFL and use our promo code LockedOnNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. On the show today, we look at the big picture for Matt Eberflus, how important that win over the Minnesota Vikings was and whether... These last now six games of the season could still be enough to save his job, especially if he could make offensive coordinator Luke Getze a potential scapegoat. Say you fire him, but Eberflus gets to stay and pick another offensive coordinator with you know, his defense is playing pretty well. We'll go through some of those dynamics. I'll also make sure we touch on like where, despite some of the things the Bears are doing better, there's still some very real coaching concerns here that continue to lead to the conclusion that Matt Eberflus should not keep his job. Real quick, before we get into it, a couple of quick shout outs. Yesterday was the first day of like Spotify wrapped coming out for all of, for those of you that listen to Lockdown Bears on Spotify. It shows you what podcast you've listened to the most over the course of the last 12 months. And we heard from some of the everydayers that tune into Locked on Bears that tweeted me on Twitter. And I wanted to give them a shout out here. Shout out to Christopher Gates at Gates underscore CK. Locked on Bears was number one in his top podcasts on Spotify. Also, shout out to at GD312Chicago. His Twitter name says Mr. Hanky. We were number two, even though he we listen every day. Hey, I'm just happy to be in the top five, man. It's such an honor to have you listen to me so much that we end up in your top five listens over the course of the year. Love absolutely hearing that from everybody that we've heard from so far, including at Falls54, F-O-L-S, on Twitter. This was many years in a row as his number one go-to. Really appreciate you tuning in. And then also I saw from uh, Mikey B at Hoodie Mikey B on Twitter. Came in number two in his Spotify rap top podcast. If we're in your Spotify rap, Lockdown Bears, give us a tweet. You can tweet at Lockdown Bears. You can tweet me at Cox Sports One. Also want to throw in a quick shout out to uh, Owen Allstrom, who is the fiance of one of my good friends, his sister. I know he's an everyday who turned in the podcast on his way to work. So shout out to Owen as well. And shout out to all of you who are tuning in today, whether it's your first podcast or your 1000th podcast and send us your Spotify raps. I want to see who's listening to the most locked on bears, but let's get into Matt Eberflus here where, you know, the win against the Minnesota Vikings felt like such a key win for Justin Fields to be able to finish that game with a, with a game winning drive at the end of the fourth quarter, Matt Eberflus to get his first divisional win as a bears head coach. And all of a sudden you look at it, the Bears are 4-4 four and four in their last eight games. After starting 0-4, they're 4-4 four and four in the last eight. 
and they're they've won two out of their last three. Like they're seem to be turning some kind of corner and playing a lot better. And throughout that stretch in particular, the defense really leading the way, really playing well. You know, of course, against the Vikings, they only give up 10 points. You know, against the Lions, they picked off Jared Goff three times and gave the Bears, uh, you know, a lead all the way up until four minutes left in the fourth quarter. They were shut down of this Detroit Lions offense for the majority of that game. Obviously, really holding down the Carolina Panthers before that. We've seen them dominate against the Raiders and keep the Bears in against the Saints pretty well. Like, it's not been perfect defense, but over the last handful of six or seven or eight games or so, this defense is playing really, really well. And that's Matt Eberflus's domain. Like, yes, the offense has struggled on and off there, but there might be enough opportunity for Eberflus to distance himself from that a little bit and say, hey, my defense is is playing a lot better. And my defense is winning us these games and keeping us in the games that we don't end up winning and see, like, I deserve another shot because my defense is working. And then you start to look ahead to what's still left with six, excuse me, five games, six weeks still on the schedule. Can he do well enough over that stretch? You know, if he wins more of those games and gets this team closer to 500 even down the stretch, does that conversation about Matt Eberflus start to change? Because right after the bye week, you have the Detroit Lions, who the Bears were beating for three and a half quarters, really until about four minutes left in the fourth quarter. The Bears were in control of that game. So all of a sudden, Detroit at home feels like a winnable game coming out of the bye week. Then you're on the road at the Cleveland Browns, who have a very good defense, but don't have a quarterback. They're starting P.J. Walker at this point because Dorian Thompson-Robinson is hurt and Deshaun Watson's out for the season. So, like, the Browns are potentially winnable game. You've got the Arizona Cardinals who are two and 10, I think, and might be full blown tanking by that point of the season, mid late December there before Christmas. And then the Falcons are okay. Maybe a decent team, but not a playoff caliber team, not as good as the lions. We wouldn't think. And then on the road at green Bay in week 18, like not that I think the bears could run the table and win all five of those games, but you just beat the Vikings. If you beat the Lions after the bye, that's your first back-to-back wins in the Eberflus era and another huge divisional win. Maybe you beat the Browns, maybe not. You almost certainly should beat the Arizona Cardinals. So you start to get to, you know, you add two more wins, you're up to six wins. And then maybe a, a Falcons or a Packers or a Browns get you to seven wins. And well, seven wins is not a great season. It's not too far off from where we might have expected coming into this year. Like we knew this team wasn't going to be a Super Bowl team this year. And so could Matt Eberflus... stumble his way into earning another year and saying, yeah, listen, my defense played really, really well. And this team got better and see, we were playing so well down the stretch at the end of last season, bring it all back. And let's see if we can pick back up where that is in 2024 and really get this ship going. Like, see, we just needed to, we just needed time. We needed that patience and now everything is working. So let's keep that thing going. Don't fire me. Let's keep this thing rolling. And then, you know, maybe just maybe the bears will say, well, but Hey, the offense was still only doing this and, Things need to be better. All right. Well, then how about I fire the offensive coordinator and we'll try and improve the offense that way. Like, I'll keep, let me keep my job because the defense is playing so well. But maybe the offensive coordinator, Luke Getze, can be a little bit of a scapegoat there and say, yeah, we'll replace him. And that'll be sort of forgiving my sins as the coach and keep my job as the head coach and run things back for next year. We'll take a closer look at what's been going on with Luke Getze and, and how, how that plays in with Justin Fields, but also... Matt Eberflus's loyalty to his coaching staff and how that might work as a potential scapegoat next on Locked On Bears. The Locked On Bears podcast is brought to you by our friends at Prize Picks. 
the better way to do daily fantasy sports because prize picks puts you in complete control of your chance to win. You're not going up against other players' lineups hoping that you have the best one. No, you're, it's just you versus the projections available. Prize pick sets a stat projection for all the players and you decide whether they will get more or less than their prize picks projection. So, for example, I picked DJ Moore to have more than four and a half receptions against the Minnesota Vikings. I picked Dan- Daniel Hunter to have more than 0.75 sacks against the Chicago Bears last week. You pick two to six players, and you can win up to 25 times your money. It's super easy, and it's a lot of fun. Go to prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNFL and use our promo code LockedOnNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. It's an extra 100 bucks to play with at prizepicks.com, promo code LockedOnNFL. PrizePicks, daily fantasy sports made easy. It feels like with all the disappointment the Chicago Bears have had this season and a lot of failure and ugly bad losses along the way, it, it feels like it would be hard to bring everybody back and pretend like everything is fine. I don't know, like does winning does winning a few more games at the end of the year forgive all of the previous sins of the, you know, mistakes and really bad loss to the Denver Broncos in week four where they blew it and, you know, really kind of blowing it against the Detroit Lions at the end there and being embarrassed by the Chargers on Sunday Night Football. I mean, there's been a lot, and we'll get into we'll get into some of the bad here in a little bit, but it, it feels like it would be hard to just say, yes, everything is on track the way we want it to, bring everybody back and we're full steam ahead with how things were. But but you could still keep Matt Eberflus and, you know, fire Luke Getze because when you look at what's going on with the Bears right now in these last couple of games, like, Things went well against the Lions, but certainly against Minnesota, you couldn't get into the end zone at all. You had four interceptions on the opposing quarterback and you got field goals out of it. You know, you started drives near or past midfield and you couldn't get into the end zone. And I think the specific thing about that is that you you still felt like your quarterback was generally playing pretty well. And obviously the defense is a part of this conversation, the opposing defense, but like, you know, we're not looking at those, these games going, man, Luke Getze has nothing to work with here. Like, oh, the quarterback is struggling and the receivers aren't any good and the O-line's not any good and there's no running backs, right? Like, the Bears' offense seems to have enough pieces, right? It's not perfect. They they could kind of use a little more in terms of weapons, and the offensive line has its ups and downs here and there. And certainly Justin Fields is not a perfect quarterback. Yeah, there's, there's flaws. But, like, the offense is generally, like, Fields is generally taking care of the ball and playing decently well. They've been able to run the ball fairly successfully all year. The offensive line has settled in and is playing good enough, it has felt like, for the majority of the year. DJ Moore is obviously a great weapon. Darnell Mooney feels like he has some untapped potential there. Cole Komet is having a, a, a decently productive season here. Like, the Bears have stuff to work with on offense, and yet you get 12 points against the Vikings. And even two weeks ago, against a really bad Carolina Panthers team that just fired its head coach, all you could get was 16 points in the game, you know, one one touchdown. I mean, I get it. Tyson Bajant was starting, so we're not going to I'm not going to hold the Tyson Bajant era against Luke Etsy too much in that regard, but it just felt like there've been too many times when this offense has struggled to fully figure it out and to feel like you're putting Justin Fields in the best position to be successful, to feel like you're putting DJ Moore in the best position to be successful, to feel like you're putting Darnell Mooney in the best position to be successful and to feel like this offensive line and the running game like there's just been so many times when you're just like, man, 
what exactly is Luke Getze doing here? Like, and a lot of times it's stuff where it's like right idea, but just like wrong, wrong path, like wrong execution where like, you know, against the Vikings, you, yeah, you're going to need to call some screens, but maybe not 12 of them. And maybe not like three screens in a row on that one drive or you know, back in the Buccaneers game in week two, where they called that same screen pass like three in a row and had the pick six off it. Like, it's just things where it doesn't feel like your offensive coordinator all the time is putting your offense in the best position to succeed. And so, you know, you can make a pretty strong argument for moving on from Luketsi, but then like, is that, does that absolve Matt Eberflus of his blame in all this? I mean, he picked Luketsi and he, you know, assembled this coaching staff and has stood by it and is involved in offensive meetings and stuff. Like to me, it's awful convenient to just kind of blame it all on Getsy and have Eberflus keep his job and keep moving forward. I can also understand or wonder whether Matt Eberflus like w- would fire Luke Getsy. You know, he talks a lot about culture and defends his staff, even as they've had all sorts of staff issues. And we'll get into that in a moment here. I do want to talk about that. You know, Eberflus seems like a pretty loyal guy with his coaches. And would he, would he fire Luke Getsy? Certainly if the Bears came to him and said, you either fire Luke Getsy or you're gone, you know, push can come to shove there. But would he fire Luke Getsy on his own fruition or say, no, let's run it back because they, they believe it, it it's working. I mean, I, I get from the standpoint of it sure would be nice to give Justin Fields that continuity to have the same offensive coordinator and the same offense for then it would be the third season in a row from, you know, time that Eberflus got here. And even from a head coaching standpoint, just to have the general like organizational continuity for three years in a row instead of, you know, turning over after a couple of years as the Bears have been doing a lot lately. I just wish the continuity was better, right? Like I wish, I wish you were getting a third year of like a good offensive coordinator. But that's the thing with Luke Getzey is like, there's times when it looks good. Like he's not, I don't know if he's, I wouldn't call him the worst offensive coordinator in football. I mean, Matt Canada seemed to claim that title, but when he got fired by the Pittsburgh Steelers, but there's some moments where it feels like the worst offensive coordinator in the NFL. And there's other moments where it works and you're seeing Justin Fields play better right now. And isn't that really all that matters or what matters the most is that Getsy is getting better play out of Justin Fields now than we've seen for the majority of his career. Like this is the best stretch of football that Justin Fields has played. And Luke Getsy has been the offensive coordinator for that. And yet as Fields has still played well, it feels like the offense as a whole has not. And when your quarterback seems to be doing well and other guys in your offense individually seem to be doing well, but collectively your offense is not doing well, that would seem to be as clear of an indicator of the coach, the offensive coordinator, the one coordinating all of those individual pieces. If they're individually doing a lot of good things, but not being coordinated to do well, that kind of falls on your offensive coordinator there. So then, I mean, is there anything Luke Etsy could do to keep his job? Like if the Bears, is is Luke Etsy in a similar boat with Iberflus where it's like, you know, if the offense plays better over these last five games and keeps playing and Fields keeps playing well, like are Fields and Getsy tied in that way, tied together where it's like Fields is kind of fighting to make sure that his future is still with the Chicago Bears. So if Fields plays really well over the stretch, does that keep Luke Getsy's job? Whereas if Fields struggles, then Getsy goes, but Fields goes too? Like are are those guys kind of inextricably linked in that way? I mean, that's that's what's so interesting to me about this final five game stretch of the season. It's like there is still something at stake there, but I just wonder if it would be convenient to let Luke Getze go 
and keep and have Matt Eberflus save his job by kind of putting the blame on the offensive coordinator and saying, my defense is playing well, don't look at me, look at the offensive coordinator and then get somebody else in there, which might break up some of the continuity there, but might be a better offensive mind or a better system for Justin Fields. I mean, that's, it's, it's a tricky spot. And that's where, that's where you have to wonder, like, can, can these guys still save their jobs? And I, I still feel like the answer should be no, right? There's two different distinctions here. There's what there's trying to predict what the bears might do, which to me is up in the air. And then there's what would I do? What would you do? What would we do if we were running the bears? And that's, yeah, fire this coaching staff. There's a lot to still not like about this group, even though we can enjoy and celebrate the wins. We can also make sure like we keep in mind the flaws from this coaching staff and from this bears team that still make them very fireable, almost regardless of how the remainder of this regular season goes. We'll kind of refresh ourselves on some of the stuff that has really gone haywire throughout this season and the stuff that still is causing problems for this team next on Locked On Bears. The Locked On Bears podcast is brought to you by DoorDash. DoorDash is here to deliver all of your favorites right to the comfort of your own home. Whether it's during game day, you want to have a meal, a snack, or your groceries delivered and you don't have to go to the grocery store to deal with it or go to the restaurant to pick it up or go out into the cold this winter when that when that winter breeze hits you and when you step out of the car, boy, there's been a few times when I man, I should have just stayed home and ordered it on DoorDash because with DoorDash, you can still support all of your favorite local restaurants. You look around the Chicago area, there are plenty of great ones on DoorDash, whether you're talking tacos, diner, breakfast food, euros, of course, deep dish pizza, a bunch of different places on there in Chicago, all from local restaurants. So you're still supporting them while staying in the comfort of your own home. And you're going to save a little bit by using DoorDash and using our promo code. You can get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your first order. When you download the DoorDash app and enter in our promo code LOCKED23, that's 50% off up to a $10 value. You just got to spend $15 or more on your first order when you download the DoorDash app and enter that promo code LOCKED23. Subject to change, terms apply. Locked on Bears is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel Sportsbook, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers are going to get $150 in bonus bets when you place any winning $5 money line bet. So you bet $5 on any team to win, especially during the bye week. Might give you a little something extra to cheer for when your Bears aren't playing on Sunday. $5 on any other team. Not only will you get your $5, the winnings from your $5 bet, but FanDuel will give you an extra $150 in bonus bets just for getting that win right. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. Their app is easy to use, and they got a wide range of betting options that you can use those bonus bets on for spreads, over-unders, player props, you name it, not just football, but across the sporting landscape. So check out FanDuel.com slash locked on to get your bonus bets and wrap up this NFL season the best way possible. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. As much as we're finding more to like lately about the success that this Bears team has had, and you got to give the coaching staff credit that the players have started playing better, and they deserve credit, some credit for that. To me, it's hard for much of it's hard for what we see on the field over these final five games to be enough to outweigh everything we've seen over the previous, what would that be, 24 games, 25 games, the previous season and a half under Matt Eberflus. That sometimes, you know, as we add more time to things that have happened in the past, 
they they soften a little bit in our brain. There's a it's like a recency bias or the reverse of recency bias where longer time heals all wounds in that regard where okay, maybe it doesn't seem as bad in hindsight or because there's some time to it than it felt at first. But like can we can we not forget that like defensive coordinator Alan Williams left this team mysteriously and abruptly and we still don't really know exactly why. And we there's still unsubstantiated rumors out there about criminal involvement or police involvement in some aspect of what had happened there. And the bears really tried to brush that one under the rug pretty successfully. Cause no one's talked about it for three months or two months or how long it's been like that. That's still a pretty big deal. Like that's a really bad reflection of your coaching staff, especially when you add in the dismissal of the running backs coach for some sort of HR internal issue. Like one time, okay. You could say maybe it's a fluke. Maybe there's something going on with Alan Williams Okay, like maybe we can excuse that as a a weird thing, but maybe not a bad sign of the coaching sort of culture and philosophy. But two coaches, now we can start to maybe raise some questions. Or now we can, and we've, we've talked about this in the past, and we don't want to rehash the whole thing, but like, let's not forget this, this staff has lost two coaches this season to rather unknown reasons in things that don't seem to be good, right? This is... It's not, doesn't seem to be your tip, you know, like you might think, you know, if a player, if a coach has like a death in the family or a health, like a legitimate health issue, which I guess Alan Williams claimed that, but it surely doesn't seem that way. Like this seems to be like actual problems that ultimately, whether the head coach knew about it or had a ton of power over it, the buck still stops with him. And when it's happened twice, it's like, that's, that's, that's real tough here. Just generally. We also see communication issues in terms of speaking clearly to the public, to the fan base, to the media, and not being able to really get points across fairly. And as a result, creating controversy for this team and how they talk about Fields and and Tyson Bagent and how they've talked about a number of different situations where we just can't get a straight answer out of Matt Eberflus. And it makes everyone else's jobs on the team tougher. It creates more controversy, creates more distraction for this team because your head coach can't put those away, right? He can't just clearly say, here's how it is. That's it. Instead, we kind of get this like, oh, Fields is doubtful, but he's not going to play, but he could still play kind of thing that just causes problems. And, and similarly, in the way that he talks, we get accountability issues where we, we often hear the coaching staff talk about how the players need to be better. And they talk less about how they need to be better and how it ends up feeling it's not directly throwing the players under the bus, but it's not taking, it's not shielding the players from public blame. And it's just, it again, like if I were a player in that locker room and I heard the way that Matt Eberflus and company talk about the players after some of these losses, it feels to me like they're blaming us. If I'm the hypothetical player here more than anything, when a coach is supposed to go out there and, to the public, whether he believes it or not, always say it's your own fault. Whether whether it is or isn't, doesn't matter. Your job as the head coach or any the coordinators leading the organization is to protect your players, take the blame off of them, and be the sort of shield from criticism and from the public. And Matt Eberflus really doesn't do that well at all. Like, you got to come out there and say, yeah, I got to coach him better. We got to put him in a better position to be successful. We have to prepare them better. We, as the coaching staff, have to do this better. Uh, shout out to Larry Dyer from Bears Talk Underground, who made a great point when I was talking to him yesterday. Like, 
to, to his credit, Matt Nagy was really good at that. Like, not to say that Matt Nagy is the shining example here, but like Matt Nagy was really good at saying, yeah, we got to coach him better. We got to put him in a better position to be said, this is on us, the coaching staff and not the players. And it's felt like so often this season with Matt Eberflus, it's like, yeah, we, the coaches we're we're doing right. The guys just got, the players got to execute that better. They got to learn from that. They got to be in the right, but they got to do this. They got to do that. And it's less like we got to do them better. It's more like they got to do them better, which is again, like not helping the team. You've seen even like lately against the Vikings, you saw it a little bit, but especially against the Lions, Matty Refluce's much improved defense gets really conservative down the stretch. Super prevent soft defense lets the Lions drive down and score a couple times in the final four minutes and lose that game. We've seen it in multiple games this season where they really take the foot off the gas and really let the other team climb right back into these games. And they've blown a couple of these games. This defense has. For as well as they've played, they've blown a couple of these games. The defense also was pretty terrible against the Chargers, missed a bunch of tackles midseason after having played a couple of really good games before that. And they played decently against the Commanders, really well against the Vikings, really well against the Raiders, and then the Chargers, they turned back into a pumpkin. So can we trust that the Bears' defense is fixed and is good to go from, and is going to be great from here on out? Or is there still room for vulnerability here? And like, do we trust that like the hits principle is working? Because that's the whole... That's the whole philosophy here, right? That's the whole thing Matt Eberflus hangs his hat on is, you know, was it hustle, intensity, turnovers, and smarts or whatever it is. And, like, when they're missing a bunch of tackles, doesn't seem to be quite the hustle and intensity they want. There were plays earlier this season where it felt like guys weren't hustling. Guys were kind of loafing out there, and they're supposed to be monitored for their loafing and supposed to be, you know, held to this higher standard, supposed to be tougher, more endurance, and all these things better than their opponents. And I don't know that we're really feeling that. I mean, turnovers we're finally starting to see, but... Isn't that just a result of, you know, getting a guy like Montez Sweat added in there from your general manager, getting fully healthy from, you know, all of the young players in your secondary, again, acquired by your general manager and, you know, your free agent linebackers playing better, kind of again, acquired by your general manager and like guys settling in after so many moving parts early in the season, now settling in, like, do you give Eberflus credit for that? Or is it just like pretty good players? Like one of the questions I ask myself when I think about Matt Eberflus is like, how much is the coaching and how much is the talent? Could another defensive coordinator come in and be really successful with this group? What is Matt Eberflus doing as a defensive coach to make this defense better? And what do we point to schematically or play calling wise or player usage, personnel usage, coverage wise, blitzing wise? I mean, can we point to a lot of like, ah, that's Matt Eberflus right there making this defense good. We did see them blitz a little more against Josh Dobbs and use it in like, Yes, there are some things that you can point to as like, okay, Eberflus has switched up his coverages and has blitzed a little bit more, and like, he he has grown, right? And I think that's something we have to keep in mind with coaches in general is like, coaches are not static. Just like players develop and grow and get better and worse, coaches get better and worse, and there's room for Eberflus to get better and worse, and there's room for Getsy to get better and worse, but it just doesn't feel to me like Matt Eberflus has, done, has, from a coaching standpoint, really done anything special as a defensive coordinator, like... Players are playing better, and he probably deserves some credit for player development, but schematically, doesn't feel like the Bears are doing anything special there that's putting these guys in a great position to succeed. Like, they're just getting better players, and those players are playing better, and that feels a little bit more like the GM than the head coach. So I still think the best decision is to fire Matt Eberflus, to also fire Luke Getze, let the next head coach come in, build his staff out, and let that staff decide what to do with Justin Fields. But we'll see what the Bears do. And maybe these last five games really do have enough sway 
to swing that either direction. I kind of feel like it shouldn't, but maybe it will. Certainly, we'll keep close tabs on what Matt Eberflus and Luke Getze do over these final remaining games after the bye week. So follow along with all of our coverage. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's going to be the best way to keep up with all of our daily, in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. Really appreciate you making Lockdown Bears your first listen today. We love our everydayers that tune in five days a week that send us your Spotify wrapped as well. If you haven't done that yet, show us where if, and if you're not listening on Spotify, that's okay too. You can, I listen on Apple Podcasts too. I don't, I don't listen to podcasts on Spotify. I'm not here to endorse Spotify, but if you happen to listen on Spotify, send us your wrapped. We'd love to see it. And even if you're not on Spotify, if you're still an everydayer, we'd love to hear from you as well on Twitter at Lockdown Bears, Lockdown Bears Facebook group, you name it. We love it. Really appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every day. And I hope that in addition to all the fun we have on the podcast, you also get an opportunity every day to bear down.